Hey, everybody. It's Andrew Decker. I'm here with my friend, Andrew Harris, my co-host. Hey you doing all right today? Doing well. Doing well. We're still technically living in quarantine life. I can, I can tell by your haircut. Or, or, the, or the lack thereof. Yeah. Right? Hey, what, are, what, what is everybody listening to? Andrew and Andrew on Texas criminal defense. <laughs> I, I, I thought this was a harder question than that. That's true. That is what we're listening to today. I was getting there. Okay. I was getting there. Uh, this is Andrew and Andrew on Texas criminal defense. Um, today we have a guest. Um, it's someone, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save her name for a minute. Uh, it's someone that actually I've used. I didn't know that until uh, recently. I used yeah. her information because she co-wrote a um, brochure, an article, uh, for Texas Ag Life or Texas A&M Ag Life, Agri Life yeah. uh, called the Five Strands. Huh, that, that sounds familiar. It is familiar, and it was important because it talks about open range law. Huh? And a little that, more familiar. A little more familiar. That's right. We're talking about the chicken killing case. Chicken. She Look wrote. Out. She wrote. Uh, she co-wrote the article that I used and actually presented uh, to get that case eventually dismissed. Boom. And that is the best result that we can hope for. Exactly. Um, in our line of work. So Tiffany Lashmet, how are you? I'm great. I'm thrilled to be here and really excited that I helped get this chicken killing situation resolved. Yeah. And, and, um, <laughs> that's actually like, I think one of my favorite episodes talking about the chicken killing it's case. My, it's so, my most famous case. Yeah. Um, so, you know, listeners out there, go and find that. It's like episode number 10 or something like that. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, it was in October 2019, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, Tiffany, you are like, you know, famous, uh, I guess, at least uh, uh, with Andrew and I. We've talked right. about the five strands before. He had to explain it all to me because open range is just so foreign to me. Um, but that's yeah. not why Mr. you're here. Mr. Harris, the city boy, he doesn't understand how, how cattle work in, in open Wait, range. That's laws. right. Well, I tell you, I get more, I probably get as many calls from city people asking those questions as country people, because frankly, like in the country, we just do stuff right. And our cattle don't get out and it's not a problem, but I get <laughs> from people that have, you know, the like five acre tract right outside of town and they're bickering with their neighbor over the cows. It's crazy. Uh, Ooh, that sounds yeah. familiar to the yep. chicken killing. Yeah, that's you, 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 yeah, it is. It is. But Tiffany actually uh, writes and podcasts basically all the time. She actually has her own uh, blog, and that's actually we're going to talk about one of her posts. Yeah. Today, and she has her own podcast, um, and we'll hope she'll plug that at the end. Uh, but we're we're thrilled to have her today and yeah. to talk about what are we going to talk about, Andrew? Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, hemp regulations, uh, how that intersects with, uh, with, you know, the laws in the state of Texas, as far as like THC possession, marijuana possession, the CBD oil craze. And, and Tiffany, just real quick, like, what don't you do for Texas AgriLife, Texas A&M AgriLife? <laughs> well, I will tell you the one thing I am not involved in is negotiating the contract for Jimbo Fisher. Okay. <laughs> that yet, but, but, uh, other than that, so I, I from what I, from what I hear is not much of a negotiation. He just came in with a number and they said, sure. Hence why I don't want my name associated with that. Andrew. Yeah. Right. Right. That's smart. So you're an associate professor. Right. And, um, and you podcast, like Andrew said, you blog, um, you know what, just tell us like generally, like what, what's going on over there at Texas A&M AgriLife? 
Yeah, it's a really fun job that I have. Um, and so my job is just to sort of educate rural landowners and ag producers about issues that affect them from a legal standpoint. So anything you can think of ag law related, things like fence law, water law, eminent domain, landowner liability. Um, I just get to sort of do educational outreach on those topics. And so that looks like writing blog posts. It looks like doing podcasts. Um, I go normally when we're not in quarantine. I travel around the state and do in-person presentations to people. Uh, it's really my dream job. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I get to work with great people um, and give them information to sort of help them in their um, ag businesses and uh, different production models. Yeah, so so I know you travel around the state in part because when I Googled your name, I found your name popping up in news articles like, Miss Lashmet's going to be appearing at the da 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 today or this weekend to speak on da 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 da, and so so it's it's obvious that you get out there and you 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 hit the bricks. Yeah, it's and, impressive. And our our podcast, you know, Andrew and I, we just do criminal defense. Like we get, we're very focused on you know code of criminal procedure, penal code, stuff mm -hmm. like that. And it sounds like, man, you're just you're just dealing with a little bit of everything. Like you, yeah. you are you're work is so involved and like comes from ma many different codes um in the state that that just seems really intense to me it is you know it's sort of like the blessing and the curse of ag law not being a specific thing right i mean there's right. so many different elements of the law that touch on agriculture and so um getting the opportunity to work in all those different areas is really fun and it keeps things exciting i mean no question i get is ever the same <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so, so let's see if we can ask some questions that are not the same today. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, and to be clear, sorry, before we get into that, you, you have a JD, went to law school, now an associate professor. So you're, you're advising or you're reviewing the law and all this, but you actually have the training and the education to, um, you know, to, to back up that, you know, legal advice or whatever you give out. Right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So I have a law degree. I practiced um, civil litigation for about four years before I took this job uh, at Texas A&M. Fantastic. Yeah. She actually taught at the A&M Law School right after I graduated. What? It's, it's on her. Really? It, it's I on her did. veto. Oh. I taught the first, I taught the first ag law class at the A&M Law School. That's Very wonderful. cool. We have a, yeah. we have um, a huge expert uh, on our podcast. I'm honored. Exactly. It's been a while since we've had one of those, right? Exactly. I don't, um, <laughs> I don't know if we've ever had an expert. And, and just so everybody listening, uh, nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. Hire your own attorney. Darn it. Yeah. Hire one of us. Okay. Um, Amen. Hire those guys. That's right. <laughs> All right. So, so basically, because I, I know, I know your, your blog is on hemp, and we're going to talk a lot about the hempler regulations, but could you explain what the difference between hemp and what most of us call marijuana is? I can. And that's a really good question because the difference is not probably as much as you think. Um, the, the difference between hemp and marijuana is definitional, and it has to do with the percent THC content uh, in a plant. So, for example, if you're in a field and you're looking at a plant, I can't tell you if that is hemp or marijuana. You'd have to actually test for that THC content. So, under the law, if the THC content in that cannabis plant is less than 0.3%, it's hemp. If it's over 0.3%, then it's marijuana. Uh, and so obviously, right, based on the Controlled Substances Act and different uh, legal issues there as far as criminal law goes, that distinction can be critically important. Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah we, we very much understand that that becomes a critical piece um, uh, in, in 
prosecuting a criminal case or defending a criminal case. Um, but it is amazing how closely related they are. And that ends up, I think we're going to end up kind of getting back into that in a little while uh, when we start talking about the THC, how much, having, having a hemp product with too much THC in it. Right. right. Well, just by way of example, there was a case here in Amarillo um, where a guy was traveling down I-40 with like a huge truck full of these plants. He gets pulled over and the uh, police them smell them say well that's marijuana throw him in jail he said it was hemp he had some paperwork that said it was hemp took them a month to test it and determine it was in fact hemp which was legal i mean so again an, a, an agronomist can't tell you a police officer can't tell you just eyeballing the plant they cannot tell the difference that's awesome so yeah. that really could affect probable cause on any number of, of arrests arrest. or stops well, because, you know, officers use that the smell of marijuana no, sure. to search a car all the time. I just had another guy call me today with that, right. with that fact pattern. Wait, you had a new cl potential new client today? I know. Yeah, Good for I you. I know. Good I'm for excited. You. Yeah. During the quarantine. Um, um, so, so, so that actually brings wow. us kind of to, our, to, to actually what I think we have as our next question. Growing and transporting hemp in Texas has to be approved, correct? And who has to approve that? That's right. And this is, this is the new law that the blog post I, I wrote that you guys um, contacted me about was on. And so now in Texas, if you're going to grow, produce, handle hemp, you've got to have a license to do so. And that license is going to be issued by the Texas Department of Agriculture. So the TDA, um, they, this just kind of regulatory scheme just got set up. They started taking license applications in March. Uh, so it's new, but yeah, you're going to have to actually have that license. So the defense for like a guy that's, you know, driving down the street, has weed in his car, gets pulled over of, oh man, it's just hemp. That's not going to work anymore since we now have this license procedure in place. But there was that gap time there where that might have been a defense if the facts proved out that it was hemp. Okay, I see. So now um, with, with the new regulations, um, if you are transporting uh, hemp down the road, you've got your TDA approval paperwork on you and you get stopped in the smell of marijuana, you know, the, the officer says, hey, I smell marijuana, what's going on? You now, you know, you have to have that certification. Um, and do, do you know if police officers have been told about these regulations, like the certification requirement? Yes, uh, this was a big okay. deal. And as you can imagine, I got some calls from different police officers. I know that there have been trainings that have been going on. Um, I know AgriLife's been planning some of those to try and educate local law enforcement folks about this. Okay. Uh, and, and so in addition to that license from TDA, the other piece of paperwork that you're going to have to have is called a transport manifest. And that's going to just be a, a document that you have to have with you at all times if you're transporting hemp to where if you do get pulled over, you show them this transport manifest, they can go like look it up in whatever system and determine, you know, whether you are allowed to be transporting that product. Okay. Right. And, and most, most shipping companies automatically do transport manifests yeah. Yeah. Uh, with their drivers because their drivers have to keep logs for federal and state agencies. No, and, um, I, and it sounds like the, the state or at least the, um, the administration is trying to bring some clarity to what I what a lot of people are expecting this to be like the next cash crop, uh, 
right the nation, right so. so so all right so so andrew's now moved us to the next question good segue yeah right good segue. good good job um what are some <laughs> why why as a farmer am i growing hemp what are the legal purposes or uses of hemp Sure. So if you look at, um, you know, kind of the, the idea when hemp got off the ground, they had done some different states had pilot projects under the 2014 Farm Bill. Under the 2018 Farm Bill, that's where I opened it up for, for states to allow people to grow industrial hemp as a product. Um, you know, one major use of it is a potential use as a fiber. So that could be sort of anything you think of a fiber crop uh, could be used for. There's the potential for hemp in those areas. So things like rope, clothing, paper. Um, I've seen some people speculate potentially it could be a, a replacement for some types of plastic. Um, so that's an option. Uh, there's also, of course, the CBD oil, which we've mentioned, um, that has been a little bit of a craze over the last you know, couple of years. Um, there's some hemp that's been used in food products. There's some pretty limited ways you can use that legally at this point, but hemp seed, for example, you'll see that sometimes. Uh, in different food products or advertised as well. Um, so those are kind of the, the main uses that people I think are looking at hemp for. The, the idea that you're gonna make big money on it, right? This may be a, a way to make um, a, a, a lot of money as a profit, as a farmer. Generally, those are looking at the potential CBD oil uh, crops. Yeah. And there, if you look at the economics of that, I think that's kind of on shaky ground right now. If you look at the, the price, uh, trends over the last year. I'm not sure how rich anybody's going to get, but CBD was the use that people were thinking there was probably the the big high dollar per acre returns in. Right. So, so for lack of a better term, hemp would be the emu of uh, the mid 1980s. Uh, for those of you who weren't around, emus are like ostriches, and they were they were the they were the next big cash animal. Emus were being sold for three and four thousand dollars a bird, and then after about four years, they were worth about fifty bucks. Um, it truly was a little before my time. Well, not before my. Well, time. I wish I could tell you that that analogy's been thrown around a lot. Um, what I can't. Oh tell my you gosh! From, See? from economics, it's a good analogy. It is. I can tell you from an economic standpoint. If you look at the price on that CBD oil um, last year, at this it was about four dollars and twenty-five cents per percent CBD. And the last time I looked was about a month ago, and it was seventy-five cents. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah that's Huge a big difference, difference in a year. Yeah. So let so just staying on the CBD topic, just just for a little bit, um, are those because of the the uh, the Department of Agriculture has now put in the requirements on hemp, growing hemp, transporting hemp. Are they now? Are, are they also reviewing like the CBD products that you can buy in any store uh, right now? No, so that's okay. not going to be under the jurisdiction of the TDA. That's actually going to be under the jurisdiction of the Department of State Health Services. They've got a separate oh. set of proposed regulations that will deal with any sort of consumable hemp. Um, so that's going to be coming out on the federal level. Consumable hemp products would be governed by the FDA. To this point, the FDA has been, I don't know that hesitant is the right word, but they certainly haven't really gotten involved in that. And that's one thing that you'll see a lot if you look into this on, on the CBD oil, especially, is there's not really anything governing that right now as far right. as quality, content, et cetera. And so you'll see a lot of warnings to people like, you need to be careful where you're buying it, what you're buying, because there's just not a lot of oversight of that at this point. Well, and that's what, like, when people would ask 
me uh, if CBD is legal or what's up with all the CBD oil everywhere. My, my initial answer was, I don't think anybody is certifying what the THC content is. And if you have THC, the way it's li- uh, written in the, you know, in the code, it, any mm-hmm. amount is a felony. So right. Yeah. Anything. I was it, very concerned. About yeah. Anything that. over yeah. that point. I, I think in the code, anyway, that 0.3%. Well, now I think it, the floor would be 0.3%, but before it was just anything less than a gram in penalty right, group right, one. Right, right, but, but That's right. Yeah, the farm bill changed that. Yes. Group two. Right. right, the farm bill cha- cha- changed yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. But That's right. Again, without anybody truly monitoring who's making it, what's in it, and testing for it, I, I, my, my basic advice to any of my uh, friends or, or people I met who ask about CBD oil was I wouldn't have it in my car. I wouldn't have it on my person because there's a good chance you're walking around with a felony charge. Yeah. I mean, that, that was my concern. So, so, what, so like really fair, right yeah. now, it's, it's just like vitamins. You know, vitamins are not regulated by the USDA or the FDA. So you're really just kind of like taking somebody else's word on what you're consuming. That's right. right. And the same with supplements, right? Like you'll see like health food supplements, same idea. Gotcha. Okay. So, so, so you're with us, you wouldn't recommend going out and buying some CBD oil, carrying around your car and consuming it while you drive. I mean, look, you guys are the defense law experts. If I get in trouble, for that, I'm going to call you, but I think, <laughs> I think you're spot on, right? I can't point to anything in the, in the law that says, Hey, this is legal. And again, the problem is you don't know what the THC content is in that oil that you bought. And because there's nobody overseeing testing of that. So that's scary to me. Right. Yeah. So I actually have, uh, I, I'm going to, you put friend in air quotes, uh, but he's not a client um, who makes oil for his mom and her friends. And I asked him, I was like, I finally, one day he complained that his dog got high on the remnants. And I was like, well, what's in it? He said he goes to Costco, gets extra virgin olive oil shoves a pound of marijuana in there, lets it soak for two weeks, pulls the marijuana out, and then puts the, uh, the, the oil into little vials for his mom and her friends. And I'm like, no wonder, man. Holy crap. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sounds, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, my, my, guess awesome. is, my guess is that's not legal. Um, You're going to send me that friend's uh, uh, cell phone number later? I, I've got it on my okay. phone, actually. <laughs> um, and I have not purchased any of his products regarding his oil i will say that i have not purchased yeah. any edibles smokables eatables from him i've used him for other services that he does um so okay so what happens then tiffany if someone is i don't know like somebody who's already been cleared or registered with tda to produce hemp but then it's found like hey your thc percentage is over that 0.3 percent you know uh, threshold. Yep. Like, what, what happens in that instance? Yeah, this is a huge issue from the production ag standpoint. And this is something that I always try to spell out really carefully for any uh, farmer who's looking at growing this. So you have to get your product tested, right? And there's different rules about testing when you essentially they go out and they take a sample of your plants, they send it to a lab to run the test, and they're testing for the acceptable THC level which is that 0.3%, but they give you what's called like a measurement uncertainty, which is kind of like a margin of error. So right. essentially right, what they're going to say is, okay, your, your um, test came back at 0.35, but there's a 0.6 measurement uncertainty. Okay. 
So long as 0.3 falls within that range, it's legal. So you've got a tiny bit of wiggle room based on that sort of margin of error, okay? But if you're over that, uh, if you're over the acceptable hemp THC level, you get one retest, but it has to be of the same sample at the same lab, all right? If that's Mm -hmm. over, then you're going to have to destroy the crop. Oh man. Okay. And that's a big deal because I'm just telling you, if you look at the input costs, these um, plants, especially if you're growing for the CBD, we're talking, uh, uh, numbers I've seen are thousands of dollars per acre. And if you're over the limits, you have to destroy it. You can't sell it. You can't try to remedy it. It has to be destroyed. So how would you like, it's somebody in that situation, would they have to go through I don't know, would the, would the Department of Agriculture have to oversee the destruction? Like, how would you go about destroying an entire crop like that? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's something that was changed from the interim rule or the proposed rule to the um, adopted rule at TDA. So initially what the rule said, both federally and in Texas, was you actually were going to have to um, go through a DEA reverse distributor and it had to be destroyed as you would any other controlled substance, right? Because at that point, it is a controlled substance. It's marijuana and it's illegal. They've relaxed that a little bit, at least for now, to sort of try and get the hemp industry up and going. And there are certain types of USDA practices that are approved for destruction. They can be things like um, plowing it under, different types of, of you know production practices. You can get one of those. Once you've got it done, though, you've got to submit a report to TDA letting them know that has happened, and they should send someone out to inspect it and confirm it was actually done uh, in accordance with these allowable rules. Man. Okay, so where would you even find, like, where would a farmer find hemp seed that they know is going to be below the THC threshold? Well... That's going to be an interesting question, and we're going to <laughs> really? talk a lot about that in the next year or so. So right here wow. in Texas, we're, we're planting our first crop this year because it just now became legal. Yeah. Um, people are buying seed. Uh, under Texas law, you've got to buy seed that's either certified or approved by the TDA. Um, there's been no seed that's been certified yet. That a certification would give you some more confidence in how it would perform here in Texas. There's about 100 different seeds that have been approved. But if you look on the TDA website, like it basically says, listen, these are just approved varieties. You better pay attention to kind of who you're buying them from. Right. Um, we've got some information from other states that have had the pilot programs and have grown this product before. But here's where it gets concerning is there are a lot of weather issues that can affect the THC level. Things like drought, heat stress. Um, those sorts of things, right? Which we're pretty accustomed to, especially here in the panhandle. Yeah. Make your THCs, you know, increase. And so um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. And, and I think that farmers need to be really careful whether they're buying their seeds or their plants, because that's an issue where you could find yourself in a world of hurt. Right. So, so again, I'm going to draw an analogy uh, j- just to see if I'm, if you think I'm in the right ballpark. Uh, so an emu in 1980. No, well, no, no, we're not, we're not going to go with grapes and wine. Okay. 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 Um, obviously if it's too hot or too cold or too much rain or not enough rain, 
it can change the sugar in the in the concentration of the grape, which then changes the quality of the wine one way or the other. It's the same thing. The, the, the environmental factors can make the same basic seed produce THC, which would be a little higher or a little lower uh, over the course of the, of the life of the crop. That's exactly right. And I've even been told that it can depend on the time of day that the testing or that the, the sampling is done can affect that as well. Oh, so, damn. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So in that, in that instance, like if the te- they go out in the heat of the day and pull a leaf off, it's going to be different than if they went like at twilight. That's right. Wow. Yep. I'm not, I'm not growing here. From the producer standpoint, there's a ton of risk. That's exactly, yes, right? There's so much risk here. And we didn't even get into all the paperwork that you have to do and all the reports you have to submit. I mean. Yeah, we purposely skipped over that. If anybody's interested in doing that, please Google Tiffany's blog post. It really breaks it down very nice and and concise. I mean, just to give you an idea, I printed out your blog and it's like 15 pages uh, of, of text. Um, so there's no way we can cover all of it. We're, we're kind of hitting some of the high points. Um, right. but, but just on the fees to apply, it's a $100 license application. There's a modification, annual renewal, background checks, facility modification, facility application, sampling is cost, shipping and transport. I mean, the fees alone, you're talking probably several thousand dollars each yeah. year just for the fees so you can attempt to grow a legal hemp product. Is there, yeah, that, that's right. Tiffany, is there a lot of like retrofit, retrofitting of like current facilities of a, if a farmer who's like growing, I don't know, cotton, wheat, uh, grape, something wants to start growing hemp, is, are, do they have to do a lot of like, I don't know, retrofitting of their facilities to abide by the TDA regulations? In general, in general, no, not for the farmer because right, the facility is like the dirt. So okay. not too much to do there. Where there are going to be major issues, I think, are going to be um, for the production facilities. Uh, right? uh-huh. Grow cotton. We got cotton gins all over the place. You take your cotton at the gin. Right. If you grow hemp, especially for fiber, finding a place that's going to be able to actually um, go through and like, do, you know, the manufacturing process to turn that into usable fiber that can be a major issue and a major cost for people. So there's some issues there. There's some issues with equipment. Um, as far as harvesting, you may have to buy some different equipment or modifications for like a combine, for example, if you're going to grow fiber. So there are some, some things like that, uh, that, that sure may come into play. Gotcha. Yeah. So that just might be of interest, um, on the criminal defense front is to get your license actually cannot get a license from TDA if you've been convicted of a drug-related felony in the last 10 years. And another interesting piece there is if you're somebody who's going to farm on rent a leased land, right? If you're going to lease land from somebody to grow the crop, Mm -hmm. the same has to be true for your landowner. The landowner can't have had that drug-related felony within 10 years. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And, and, and obviously if you're talking about most, um, Uh, I actually used to live up in the Panhandle. Most of those farmers and farmers up there, those are large family tracts of land. Um, It's not going to be an issue, but the guy that thinks he's going to go from being a marijuana guy to a hemp guy and buy two or three acres somewhere in East Texas is going to have a tough time because he's got a felony background. He's got a criminal background history. 
Uh, he's got to have land that's not related to a criminal background history. And so I, I looked at it and found it, found it to be kind of like the uh, licensed carry laws. Right. You've got to be pretty clean uh, to want to even be able to get into the business more or less um, actually be successful. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, you know, we've talked about that if the crop is over that 0.03 plus the margin of error, I could see, you know, if it's at, or, or 0.3%, sorry, right. 0.3%, if it's at 0.5 or 0.6, where truly it's just outside the margin of error and it could truly be just a deviation in the crop, you know, et cetera, my guess is they destroy that. There's no big difference. But if it, you start approaching, you know, some of the stuff I've read said marijuana is normally anywhere from 5 to 30%. But what yeah. if, you know, part of what concerns me is that if you end up with some, with a strain that has that 3 or 4%, which is not quite really usable uh, as marijuana, but it's well above hemp, that you could still have a DEA coming down on you or you could have the DPS coming down on you and suddenly you're, you're growing and manufacturing a controlled substance. And that, that, that just terrifies me as a defense attorney. Yeah, no, I think that it is terrifying, right? And I think especially, you know, there were there were a lot of people, I think, in the ag industry that were happy to see that they sort of loosened up their restrictions on destroying the crops where you don't have to use a DEA reverse distributor, et cetera. That makes me a little bit antsy because, gosh, you better destroy it right and you better have all your paperwork right because, you know, if you don't, yeah, is the DEA going to show up? And another thing that we've talked about is, when you've got thousands of dollars in that ground, if it turns out that it's hot, man, there's an incentive there to try to find something to do with it, to sell it to somebody, right? And I know some people that would buy it. Yeah, I, I that's, can, that's right. You can take that off your yeah. hands like, pretty quick. Yeah, and that's, that's scary to me. Right. Yeah. Well, at least in Amarillo, you're, clo you're actually closer to Colorado than you are to us down here uh, in True. Central Texas. So, you know, you could ship it out fairly easily, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think the, the federal government will probably have an issue with that. <laughs> yeah, that right. is not that's that right. is not legal advice. That would be illegal. <laughs> do not do that. Transporting yeah. transport, it would be highly illegal. Um, I was going to say that, that sounded like you were shopping for clients to me, but that's fine. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so, so when we talk about like this 0.3 percent, I understand that's by dry weight. Can you can you just explain like really what does that mean? Yeah, so the 0.3% the by dry weight basis, what that means is the way that they're going to test it is they're going to like essentially take all the moisture out of it. They're going to weigh the dry crop, right? So you're going to send your samples in. They're going to do whatever they do to dry it, get the moisture out. Then they're going to look at what percent of that crop is THC. That percentage of the dry sample has to be the 0.3 or less. Okay. And one thing to take note of, this was a big deal in the comments to the rule. The way they test it is they have to test for total THC, which is the Delta 9 THC content plus the like THC acid that has the potential to turn into Delta 9 THC. Mm. A lot of folks didn't like that because essentially that makes the, the likelihood of it being hot higher because they're looking at the total, not yes. the Delta 9. Um, so that's just something to note if you're somebody who is familiar with that. It is the total THC level. Wow. That's very, I, yeah. Wow. I, okay. I didn't know that THC acid. Yeah. THC acid becomes the Delta nine. I just figured it was just. Yeah. Know, that was a big, there was a lot of comments on that. Um, when TDA did their proposed rule, frankly, 
TDA's hands were tied because that's a rule that came down from USDA. Um, that TDA can't change that. But for now, it is they're testing that total THC content. So, so the THC acid though is not what like that's not the hallucinogen, right? That's the delta nine compound. That's what we're talking about. Like that's the actual Correct. stuff that's going to get you high. Correct. And my understanding is that there's some potential for the THC acid to somehow convert into the delta nine over time. Even even after um, even after harvesting and drying, that's the concern I have heard people use for why they have to test the total THC content. Not but it, but isn't this but it, and this is, right? This is me kind of guessing as to part of the issue, because for so long it has been illegal to test in any form or fashion, uh, basically hemp, marijuana, THC, CBD, etc there's a lot of kind of assumptions and unknowns with this product because it was illegal for anyone to do testing on it, correct? Well, it's certainly illegal to grow it. Yeah. So, you know, there, there just aren't like research studies from Texas A&M, for example, because we haven't been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It makes sense. I just kind of, um, well, uh, lots of concerns, <laughs> lots of concerns. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm going to go over one more quick concern and then, then I think we're going to wrap it up. I noticed in the paperwork uh, in your blog that if you have, if you are a hemp producer, you basically waive your right to warrant for DPS, TDA, and local law enforcement to enter your property and do inspections. Is that, is that the way you understand it as well? Yeah. And I tell you what, this is something where guys, if I'm like speaking to a group of farmers, their eyes kind of get big because I always tell them, look, you're essentially waiving your fourth amendment rights to anywhere that you have licensed for hemp to be or anywhere where hemp is located, right? They've got the right to come at any time without permission, without informing you, without probable cause, without a warrant to inspect anything. Um, From a constitutional standpoint, I don't love that, but that's a requirement of getting your license. And that's something I think people need to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. It jumped off the page of me when I read through your yeah. blog. That is very concerning. Yeah. To yep. Me. yep. I, again, for analogy purposes, I likened it to, to the powers of the game warden in the state of Texas. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. They can enter onto a land, but, but even they, they don't get to like go through everything, but they, they you know, they're often considered the most powerful law sure. enforcement in the state because if it's especially in or around hunting season or they've heard gunshots, they yeah. don't care where they're going. They, they'll just come on in and see what's going on. So, right. With, uh, with that being said, like after you, you give, you know, the lecture or these seminars and these farmers kind of get a little bit of wide eyed at hearing that, how many of them are still interested in growing hemp? You know, and I don't know how much is a function of different things, but I, I will tell you, you know, initially there were hundreds of people showing up at every meeting that AgriLife would have. My understanding is, and this was of about a month ago, there had only been about 500 applications or license applications filed with uh, TDA. Okay. Now, yeah. what, what is scaring people off? I don't know, right? Maybe it's the rules. Maybe it's the fear of having to destroy the crop. Maybe it's the dang prices like we talked about. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It, it, I certainly don't think it's going to be something where everybody in Texas is converting their cornfield or their cotton field to hemp. Um, I, I just think that, like I say, the, the economics, the legal issues, the uh, issues about where it's going to be um, uh, processed, I, I think those all were issues that sort of um, put the kibosh on a lot of people considering this. Makes sense. Yeah. It does. I mean, and, and really the CBD craze has kind of cooled down a little bit. Um, 
obviously the price has gone down and all that, but I just think the initial wave is kind of past us. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Well, if you look at it too, from just a supply and demand standpoint, right? I mean, the, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but the numbers of acres of uh, uh, product grown for CBD has like, I don't know, it's like 800 times what it used to be. Yeah. The just can't keep up. Right. Right. You can only use so many that price drop. The oil, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, now I'm concerned if like somebody's like, oh, I got some CBD oil. It works really good. And be like, like well, yeah. you look at right. that. Right. What's in there? Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Well, we, we greatly appreciate you uh, coming on and, and sharing with us some of this information because it does, it is one of those places where uh, the agricultural code and information and the criminal code kind of bump up against each other and you can cross from one to the other pretty easily. Um, but we ask a few questions of all of our guests. Uh, there are fun questions. Uh, everyone needs to have a little bit of fun in life. Um, and, uh, so the first one is what is your favorite m band or musical artist? Yeah. So I'm going to give you two. So the first one, right. You know, I'm going to be a country music girl since I'm an ag lawyer. So uh, all time, right. I love George Strait. He of course. my favorite, uh, more like recent band. I really like Turnpike Troubadours and have been a fan of theirs for several years. Yep. All right. Great. Yep. Good. I like it. What about, uh, what about your favorite book or like one you consistently recommend to, to people? My favorite book uh, is one I read right after I had my first child, and I should have looked up the name of the guy that wrote it. Uh, it's called Love That Boy, and it's by a guy named Ron, I think you say it, Fournier is his last name. Anyway, the title is called Love That Boy, and it talks about him uh, and his son who has autism going around and looking, uh, doing tours of different presidents because his son was really interested in presidents. It was just a fascinating book sort of looking at you know what, when you're raising your kids, like you may have these expectations, but sometimes the reality that you get may not be what you thought it was going to be, but it might even be better. So that's a book I recommend to anybody with kids. All right. That's great. And then uh, what's the best, best piece of advice you've received? It could be legal or just personal. Yeah. You know, I, I sort of think back to, you know, being a kid, I grew up on my family's farm and ranch there in New Mexico. And there was one night that we were working show animals and I don't know, it was about nine o'clock at night. Everybody was tired and mad. And, you know, our friends were all like at the movies doing fun stuff. And my dad looked at me and he said, listen, I don't know if we're going to win when we go to the show, but what I can tell you is nobody's going to outwork us. Uh, and I sort of adopted that like as my motto for life. And I hope that I have, you know, worked hard in my career and, and stuff to, make that sort of something that I hope people would say about me. Like maybe she didn't always win. Maybe she wasn't the best, but nobody worked harder than she did. I like it. I like, I like that. It. Yeah. And thank you so much for, for working so hard uh, at what you do and being able to share this information with our audience. This has uh, been a great, uh, a great podcast. I think just raised a lot of questions that I just didn't know when we first started the interview. Scares um, the crap out of me, honestly. So how can, uh, <laughs> how can people uh, find more about you? Uh, if you want to plug your podcast, it'd be great. Yeah, for sure. So we've got the blog that we've mentioned. You can just Google Texas Ag Law blog. Uh, my podcast is called Ag Law in the Field. And I just interview a lawyer about a different legal topic every episode. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. You can find that anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Uh, I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Tiff Dowell. So T-I-F-F-D-O-W-E-L-L. -L. And I've got a Facebook page that's just called Texas Agriculture Law fantastic that's awesome that's great 
Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us on, uh, on this episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we hope that you will join us next time. Uh, it'll be, what, May 15th? Be yeah. The next episode? Technically, the governor could be uh, releasing us from quarantine around that time. Yeah, well, let's hope. Fingers crossed. That's right. We'll see. We'll see. And we wanted to bring you this episode, too, because, you know, 420 just passed. So right. uh, we figured it'd be, you know, kind of at timely. Top, yeah, timely at the top of everybody's mind. I'm sure Tiffany never gets tired of having, having that joke, right? I'll tell you, my mom, right? Like, here I am, this little farm girl from New Mexico. My mom just shudders every time I tell her, like, oh, I'm going to be on TV or on a podcast talking about weed. She's like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, yeah, really, this is, this is, you know, making sure everybody knows the regulations to keep them out of trouble. Right. That's right. Um, That's right. <laughs> yeah, don't grow weed or hemp. Don't grow weed, period. And yes, don't right. grow hemp without a license. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You, can't, you can't control what the, what the legislature does. Right. You know, you're just there to, to teach people. So. That's right. And I'm just trying to help the farmers. That's, That's my right. life. So there you go. Awesome. Very good. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Again, you can find us on Apple Podcast, on Google Podcast. You can find us at texascrimdefense.com. Uh, feel free to message us with ideas or topics. Feel free to rate us, like us, uh, follow us on Facebook, and we will see you uh, or hear from you soon. Y'all be good. Good.